We made USAA insurance for veterans like James. When he found out how much USAA was helping members save, he said, It's time to switch. We'll help you find the right coverage at the right price. USAA. What you're made of, we're made for. Restrictions apply. After a horrifying public rejection by her crush, Ellie Nichols does what any girl would do. She flees the country. To be more precise, she joins her high school study abroad trip to England. While most of her classmates are there to take honors courses and pad their college applications, Ellie is on a quest to rebuild her reputation and self-confidence. And nothing is more of a confidence booster than getting a hot British boyfriend. When Ellie meets Will, a gorgeous and charming Brit, she vows to avoid making the same mistake she did with the last guy she liked. Which is why she strikes up a bargain with Deb, an overachieving classmate who she's never clicked with, but who does seem to know a lot about the things Will is interested in. If he helps her win over her crush, then she'll help him win over his. But even as Ellie embarks on a whirlwind romance, she still needs to figure out if this is actually the answer to all her problems, and whether the perfect boyfriend is actually the perfect boy for her. Hello, welcome to episode 131 of the Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast where Captain is King, Marissa is Queen, and I am your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rampy and Crew Patron Supporters. Thank you. Today we are going to be a Christy Boyce Book Club podcast, and we are going to talk everything Hot British Boyfriend. Christy, do you want to take a minute and uh, introduce yourself? Of course. Uh, so, yes, my name is Christy Boyce. Uh, let me first just say thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you bringing me on for this episode. Um, let's see. So this is my debut novel. Um, when I'm not writing, um, I am also a psychology instructor. So I teach at Ohio State University and I teach a variety of classes, um, which actually helped to inspire the book. Um, I also have a husband and a son, and so I'm kind of doing the whole mom and daytime job thing and writing thing as well. <laughs> this is a little bit about me. How did you get started writing this book as a as a psychologist? What made you go like, you know what, writing a book sounds fun. Let me do that. Yeah. So there's multiple levels I could talk about. I mean, on the one hand, I have the kind of classic writer story where I was writing as a child. Um, it was always my my biggest dream to become a writer. Um, not that I don't love psychology, but it wasn't something that was in my head until college. Um, but I never really thought that writing was a a real possibility, like something I could actually do and get published with. So I didn't, I didn't really think about it until I was an adult. Um, and then I was writing different books and I was querying and it wasn't going so well. And then I was teaching a class called The Self and it's about self-esteem and um, self-confidence and understanding and being self-aware. And I was teaching this one particular section about the way that you present yourself when you're with people that you know closely versus people who you don't know and who you're probably not going to get to know on a very deep level. And I actually wrote a multiple choice question about this for my students. And then I looked at that question and I thought, wait, that could be kind of a fun topic for a YA novel where it's about this girl who's kind of in this new place and nobody knows her and how is she going to present herself? And, and maybe she can present herself, you know, a little differently to her close friends compared to the people that you know she's only going to know for a little bit. And then I was like, Oh, I should set it in a different country. And then it kind of all like rolled out from there. So um, it was a little bit actually of my lectures that ended up inspiring the novel um, and then kind of went off on its own course after that. 
Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. I love that that tiny little thing was like, I'm going to write a book based on this. I know, it's crazy. Do you want to take a moment and sort of give a quick synopsis without too many spoilers about Hot British Boyfriend and, and what it's about with like the plot and the characters and stuff like that? Absolutely. Right. So um, Hot British Boyfriend is a young adult contemporary romance. Uh, it is about the main character's name is Ellie. So the book begins, which I don't think this is a spoiler since it's on the back flap. Um, it <laughs> <laughs> I never know what counts as spoilers or not. But um, so she gets um, rejected in a very embarrassing way uh, by her crush. And then unfortunately, that rejection also goes viral. And she's horribly embarrassed and she's just desperate to get away. This is right before senior year begins and she's desperate to get away from all the people who are uh, laughing and making fun of her. And so she decides to kind of last minute go on the study abroad trip to England. Um, and her thought is, number one, to kind of get away from everybody for a while. But then second, she thinks, well, maybe if I'm in England, I can kind of rebuild my self-esteem. And what better way to do that than if I could find a cute British boy or a hot British boyfriend, uh, <laughs> I could uh, kind of, you know, I could date and, you know, he could just kind of help me to like feel better about myself. So she goes there with that mentality and then gets um, completely overwhelmed by the academics because she's there with a lot of honor students and Ellie's very much not an honor student. Um, she then does meet a cute boy, but the unfortunate part is that she realizes they really have nothing in common and she doesn't want to lose him. So then she asks one of the other honor students, a boy named Dev, uh, to help tutor her in cricket because the British boy, whose name is Will, really loves cricket. So she thinks, well, if I can do this, if I can, if we can bond over cricket, then that will be something. Um, but then the more that she kind of spends time with Dev, the more she starts to kind of question whether it's really Will that is the right answer for her, or if maybe there's something with Dev. And then things unfold from there. It's such a great book, too. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> so every week with an episode, I, I like to talk about what books people, myself and our hosts are currently reading. And um, there was definitely a couple episodes where I was like, I'm reading Hot British Boyfriend and it's amazing. Everyone go read it right now. <laughs> and I buzzed through it in like a day and a half. And it was one of those books, like as soon as I got done reading it, I was like, I kind of want to read it again. No, <laughs> I kind of want to go back and read it again. And I, I relate to the character so much, um, especially in terms of like, trying to change yourself to to fit in with people especially as a teenager that was definitely a an identity crisis that i had when you were writing this how did you kind of tap into that mindset of like okay this is what teenagers are doing right now this is what she might have to you know hide that would be embarrassing this is what she has to do to present herself as more appealing what helped you get in that mindset Oh boy. Gosh. So, I mean, I will say that there's a part of me that feels like I'm still back in high school. Like, like I this, <laughs> I, sometimes writers will say like, they're still like, I have this friend who writes middle grade and she says she feels like she's still kind of in middle school and she has that voice. And I feel like there's a part of me that's always kind of still been in high school. Um, I, I was lucky to not have a traumatic high school experience. And so sometimes part of it's just tapping into what I was experiencing and some of my memories. Um, as a side note, I also am married to my high school sweetheart. So um, 
<laughs> so that's a little bit, I know that that's not, some people would be like, oh gosh, I can't imagine marrying my high school sweetheart. Um, right. I, I actually, I've heard multiple authors, well, YA romance authors who actually are now either dating or married to their high school sweethearts. So I feel like we're the ones who were not too traumatized. And so we're willing to still... <laughs> think about the possibility of, of real uh, romance in high school. But anyway, so I likely did not have any of the um, the viral rejections or those kinds of things. So it was, it was still kind of painful, but I was willing to put Ellie through a little bit of heartache because I figured it would work out well in the end. So that would be okay. It did um, work out so well. <laughs> So, I mean, some, some, to go back to your question, I mean, some parts of it are just me tapping into my own experiences. Um, and then I do teach, since I'm at the undergraduate level, it's a little older than high school, but honestly, I'm seeing a lot of students who are coming in at 17, 18 years old. So I'm kind of surrounded by students and um, can kind of see some of their experiences and their, their thoughts and how they're trying to present themselves. So I think about that as well. Um, and to be honest, some of it is, I guess, just kind of imagining based on my, I don't know, like my musings about the world of how Ellie might have kind of reacted to everything. I don't know if that's a great answer to that question, but that I guess that's what I'm thinking. That is a perfect answer. Now, I know before you said that um, you had hit a lot of boundaries when you were querying for books in the past. What made Hot British Boyfriend so different? Well, it was a long process for Hot British Boyfriend, to be honest. It wasn't an easy road. Um, I started writing it, thought I had, well, I guess I can go through a little bit of it. So I, I started writing it. I went to the Highlights Foundation. Uh, those, those are the same people who make the Highlights magazine for kids that people kind of know and love. Uh, they also have writing retreat, retreats and classes. So I went there to the whole novel retreat and I got some advice and I revised and I thought it was going to be great and I queried and then nothing happened. <laughs> so that was a bummer. And I kind of started to give up on the book. Um, and then I got, I decided to apply for Pitch Wars, which is a um, online mentorship program um, that's usually kind of run through Twitter-ish. Um, so I actually got into Pitch Wars and I had two mentors and I feel like they really made a huge difference. And, and I don't think I would be here and this book wouldn't be on shelves if it wasn't for Pitch Wars. And I'm going to give a shout out to them. So uh, Carrie Allen mm -hmm. and Sabrina Latfi um, are wonderful and they really saw the potential in the book. Um, and so they helped me to revise. And then that's how I got my agent. Um, so I really think it was having those kind of well-established mentors and writers to, to help me hone things. Like just as an example, um, I, again, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that the beginning, the way that the book starts, that's not how it was when I first queried it. Um, I first queried it with a book where she's already in England and she's only talking about the things that happened in kind of past tense and, and in her memories. And they were like, you need to have this on the page. You need to start the book with us seeing her going through this traumatic times, so we really it resonates with readers and they really get kind of attached to Ellie. And I do think that made a difference because before people were saying they didn't connect with her. And then after I changed the beginning, it, it did seem like people, I mean, they sometimes would be cringing and kind of reading between their fingers, I guess, but, um, but still it, it kind of gave them some empathy for her. So I think that made a difference. Um, and then I think compared to some of the other books I had written, this one just... 
I don't know. I mean, I guess there's this kind of a fun, you know, it's like a fun escapist idea of like, wouldn't it be amazing in some ideal world if um, a teenager could just, you know, go off to England and meet a cute boy and who doesn't love a hot British boyfriend? And so I think those <laughs> things kind of like, you know, captured people's attention a little bit more. And I love that it takes place in the UK. What was it about the UK that really captured your attention? And how did you bring that strategy to life so that the setting could be so realistic? Well, I am a big Anglophile. I have loved Britain and all things Britain um, forever. Um, I went there for the first time as an undergraduate, and then I went back with my husband for our um, honeymoon. Um, and I've been back again since then. So I did have some experiences to pull from and some of not all the places but some of the places that are in the book um like when she goes to bath or um actually this is a little bit of a side note but the manner that she goes to because for listeners um she go when she goes to london when she goes to england um she is studying in this manor house and that's actually based on a real place called harlexton manor um and i got to go there and so that helped as well so some of it was just my very, very lucky experiences of being able to go to England and kind of pull from that. Um, but then I also, I read a lot of books by British authors. Um, it wasn't even homework. It was just joy to get to read all these books, <laughs> um, to watch all these movies, TV shows. I mean, the nice thing about writing something that's set in England is there's so much out there that you can just kind of soak in. And that helped me to kind of, hopefully, to kind of embody that a little bit. So I think it was kind of a combination of just doing research on, on this side of the pond, if you will, and then also my lucky um, ability to go there a few times uh, as well. That is so incredible that you've been able to go there and you got to add that experience. And I know for myself as a writer, the book I'm working on right now, well, the sequel I'm working on yeah. right now, um, takes place at a camp. And I spent a lot of my time as a, as a young teen and adult um, at a camp and at a local state park. And so it was really easy for me to be like, okay, this is what it smells like. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. This is what it feels like when it's dark out. This is how the temperature changes based on uh, what time of day it is, what time of year it is. Absolutely. Yeah, the way you're describing it is so perfect too, because it's one thing to be able to see and describe what's going on, but to have that level of detail, it's, it is really hard to do that if you haven't been there. Um, and so like, for instance, with Harlixton, I actually didn't go there to the manor until after the book had been bought. It was a really joyful experience because I found out that I got the book deal and then I just had already happened to have plans to go there because my friend was teaching there. Because uh, it is, it's, it's similar to what it is in the book where they have people going for study abroad. Um, so for me to be able to go to the manor and actually walk up and down the stairways and go into the classrooms, um, when I went back to edits, it just made such a difference to have that level of detail. So yeah, we're lucky to have those experiences and to pull them into our writing. So what would you recommend to young authors that are trying to get published? Like, where do they even start? Oh, yeah. Well, let me first just congratulate you. NaNoWriMo Thank is so you. incredibly hard, and particularly in November. I, I have done something that I have named MayNoWriMo, which is when I do it in May, which I feel like is an easier <laughs> month. But Yeah, it's at the end of the like school year. It's not right before the holidays. Exactly. I don't know. I'm just in awe of everybody who's able to do NaNoWriMo with the holidays around the corner. So anyway, um, hats off to you. That is amazing. And, and sending you tons of luck, luck and love as you go into the querying world, because it is it's not the most fun. I guess we'll say uh, so far. No, I have about a, you know, a massive email pile of 
rejections. So it may just live on my computer for the rest of my life. Who knows? (laughs) No, no, no. We are going to believe in the best. Uh, (laughs) Oh, gosh. Advice for young writers. I mean, I think there's lots of different paths. One thing that I did, which is maybe not for everybody, but for some people, it might work out to join SCBWI, which is the Society for Children, Book Writers and Illustrators. Um, the reason why I like that organization is that I was able to meet other writers. And I feel like that really is one of the biggest things you could do, whether you feel comfortable doing it with SCBWI or if you find another organization or if you maybe find beta readers online or mentorships. I mean, there's lots of options, but I think if there's one thing that you need, it's a little bit of a community because it can be very solitary and you need to have people to be able to share your work with people who are going to be truthful with you, but also care about you and try, you know, their best to support you. And then when you have those ups and those downs, um, you have those people. Like I remember when I first started writing, I had this kind of in my mind, kind of the silly notion. Now I was going to get published and I wasn't going to tell anybody about it except for my husband would know. And then I would surprise everybody with this, like, Oh, guess what? Now I have a publishing deal, which in retrospect is just like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that (laughs) that is not how it happened at all. Um, But also, I I also think that would have been kind of sad. Like if I didn't have any, like if no one knew I was writing and I couldn't share it with anybody, it wouldn't feel as meaningful when all the good stuff happened. So I guess that would be my number one piece of advice is just to find other writers in whatever way makes sense to you. Um, and then I guess my other piece of advice, whenever possible, and whenever finance, finances work out for this, to say yes to things. Like any opportunity that comes about, even if it seems silly or you're not sure if it's going to make a difference, just do it because you, you just don't know. Sometimes the things that you think are going to make a difference don't, but sometimes something that you might have kind of written off ends up being like the thing that gets you to meet this person or have this connection. So I just would say to be really open-minded about um, opportunities. In terms of like, you know, feeling more solidified as a writer, one of my biggest accomplishments was, was getting a critique partner and working with other authors and getting the chance to sort of make those connections. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I feel like there's different ways that relationship can work. And so I think, again, just be open to it. Like when you meet somebody and sometimes it doesn't work out and that's okay. Um, But like, for instance, I don't, I don't have critique partners that I share chapters with. Um, But what I'll do is I'll finish a novel and then I'll send the whole novel to the people, which I call them beta readers. um, And then they're able to kind of read it and give me like seeing the whole thing, um, you know, where, how does this arc work or does this plot make sense? So there's so many different ways it can work, but I I 100% agree that you need those people in your life. So speaking of beta readers, what kind of, this is your your first YA book, what kind of feedback have you gotten from readers overall in terms of like the characters and the plot and the story it's people have been so sweet and so supportive um I feel like I you know certainly I have all my friends and family who I think are maybe sometimes a little taken aback because they see me as like a instructor like a university instructor and so like Mm -hmm. oh you're writing about teenagers falling in love (laughs) this is this is very different. And I'm like, yes, it's, I have two different worlds that I live in. Um, so that's been kind of funny and fun. Um, but I've had some feedback from other, I don't, I don't even know what to say. Like, it's just been the, the biggest joy in the world to have somebody DM me or to see somebody in person and for them to tell me how much they love the book or, you know, like you saying how quickly you read it. I feel like that's, 
in my mind, that's the biggest compliment when somebody says that they can read your book quickly. I don't know if that always comes across that way, but to me, I'm like, it, that's hard sometimes. Like I'm, I'm not good at reading books really quickly. So if somebody can read a book fast and enjoy it, then I like that. So um, just, I don't know, just everybody being so, so kind. I think people kind of get a kick out of Ellie and her fairy gardens. Um, that's a very quirky thing, I guess, for a book, but... <laughs> If you were on video right now, I would hold up the fairies that I have sitting on my desk because I, yes. I might be pulled from a personal connection. So I have a lot of fairy garden yeah, stuff yeah, myself. Yeah. If you send me a picture, I'll share it on Instagram when I release this episode on New Year's Day. Okay, I absolutely will do that. <laughs> yeah, I love her little fairy gardens because I, I do think we all have a sort of like guilty pleasure hobby that we don't necessarily want other people to know about it. I think it's great that she has this cute little hobby. And I think it's it's so telling not to give away any spoilers but it's very telling the people in the books that are like you know sort of tease and taunt her for this hobby and then the other people that are like I got you a fairy for your garden <laughs> <laughs> yes I'm, I'm lucky to be surrounded by people who um like for instance I just moved into a new house and one of my close friends uh, got me little fairy like lights to put in the front of my uh outside of my door and so I was like yeah, these are the people that you want to have in your life, right? Are the people who mm -hmm. support you and who, even if it's something quirky or a little bit silly, they they find it charming and they're supportive as opposed to being dismissive about that. Yeah, I, I one of the biggest things I get teased about is unicorns. I collect unicorns. Yes. <laughs> and I will say kids these days have such an easy time getting a hold of unicorns. They are everywhere. But um, when I was growing up, it wasn't that easy to get your hands on a unicorn and you certainly were not going to find shirts and leggings with them at Walmart. But I definitely get people that come to my house and they're like, wow, that's a lot of unicorns. And I'm like, yeah, this one I got for this birthday. And this one came from my mom. And this was from my uncle. Like, I will sit there and tell you anything you want to know about my unicorns. <laughs> I think we're kindred spirits because not only do I have a whole shelf on my bookshelf that's all unicorns, but I'm also making yeah. a unicorn a felt unicorn uh, ornament right now for my Christmas. <gasps> I love it. <laughs> I yeah, it's it's a bit of a thing. I have unicorn Christmas wrapping paper, which is harder to get now. There was a time when I could find it. Now I can't find it anymore. So I'm always on the lookout. So no, I I, I would love to come to your house and see all the unicorns. Yeah, I have so many, and you know, it's one of those things. Like that's a really easy gift for people. Yes. You know, like if they don't know me super well, they're like, well, she likes unicorns. We'll just go find some type of unicorn. Um, <laughs> I remember a friend of mine a few years ago couldn't find anything unicorn and he got me a rhinoceros and he was oh, no. like he was like this is the like real unicorn and I'm like you know what I'll take it. <laughs> I love it. So I know that you are a professor. You said you have a, a husband, a son, a family and on top of that you're writing. How do you balance such a uh demanding schedule with all of these different jobs that you have to do? Well, I'm so for one thing, I'm lucky because the kind of job that I have at Ohio State. So um, I am what they call a senior lecturer. So that means that I'm hired just to teach. I don't do any research. And so I'm only um, I only need to be there on the days in which I teach my classes. So basically, I have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule for teaching. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have those days um, to do work of whatever sort I want. So I, I do need to do school work on those days, but I usually can also find um, at least some time to write during those Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that's um, a, a real blessing. I do not underestimate the amount of 
how far it's taken me to be able to have the extra time. I know how hard it is for people um, when they're working 40 hours a week. And I, I don't have to work 40 hours a week with this job. So that's part of it. Um, I also am a night owl. So I try to be with family when my son is um, in, in elementary school now. So when he comes home, I try to do you know family time, obviously. And then when he goes to bed, then I usually stay up and I'll be up till you know, maybe like 11 or 1130 writing. Um, I know some people love to wake up in the morning and write, but I'm really, really not that person. I just, I'm not a morning person, so I can't do it. So I have to just stay up late instead, but uh, that works for me. So yeah, it's kind of late nights and then um, I those daytime slivers when I can get them. I'm kind of the opposite. I'm a binge writer, so I will write for like 12 hours straight and do nothing else. So the earlier I get started, the better. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. I don't, I don't know that I could do that. I can do hours, but I don't think I could do 12 hours. I actually wrote, um, the entire sequel in a, in a one weekend. I did it in like three days <laughs> and it was like 62,000 words, but like, I just, I didn't leave my computer. I was just living off of can like caffeine and sheer adrenaline of just like, <laughs> I have all these ideas and I'm also a cancer. I don't have an outline. So I like, if I have an idea, I kind of just got to go with it before I lose that, that momentum. So yeah, for me, it's more like I'll do nothing but write for like three days, and then I won't touch my computer for like a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are well prepared for publishing. because when they give you a short um, turnaround, you'll be like, I got this, I have one weekend, and I can do it. And then you'll just knock yes. it out. I just need someone to publish it, right? <laughs> There's pros and cons to getting traditionally published and getting independently published. So what made you decide that you wanted to go the traditional route instead of publishing it yourself? Well, so I have a friend who's um, a self-published author. She self-publishes picture books. And so I watched her and she is unbelievable. She is so amazing. The amount of things like I just, I didn't even realize how much goes into publishing a book until I watched her doing all of these things and getting the ISBN numbers. And, and I don't even, I, I honestly don't even know the words to use because I don't know all the things she did. I just know there was a lot to it that went beyond writing the book, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, it, and then the marketing of it. And I just knew mentally that that was not, you have to be really passionate to be a self-publisher because there's so much you have to learn that's outside of writing. And I just didn't know if I was going to be able to pull that off. So I kind of knew that probably so like if I was to self-publish, I didn't think I would be able to do a very good job or that it would be very professional looking. Um, so that was a lot of it. And then, I mean, you know, there's always kind of the dream of just wanting to have, have it in Barnes and Noble or, you know, something like that. Things that are a little bit more challenging when you're self-publishing. So it, it always had been in my head that I would, go the traditional route. And I just, I couldn't give up on it. So I just had to keep on trying. So like for me, the reason I want to traditionally publish is because I want other people to be able to have access to it. I queried multiple novels before Hot British Boyfriend. So I 100%, in fact, I, I don't know why it was, but for some reason I had to open an inbox today that I had not opened in a long time. And I was looking back at some of the rejections for a previous novel. And you'd think that I would be like, oh, who cares, whatever. And it was still painful to look at those. <laughs> Even though it was like 2017, I was like, I could kind of smile, but I was like, no, this still kind of sucks actually. So yeah, it's, I, I feel you. It's hard. It's hard. And then a lot of what I've gotten have been like template yes. <laughs> rejections. 
<laughs> right. And I will hear people sometimes talk about getting these quote, good rejections, where they give you this personalized feedback. And I'll just tell you, I never got a good rejection. I don't know what that means. But like, <laughs> I just don't know that agents have the time to do that to give personalized feedback. Maybe if they read the full manuscript, um, there might have been once or twice that I got some like specific feedback. But for the most part, everything was like that. So I would not read too much into it. I think it's really just how publishing is right now that they just don't have enough time. But I also understand that's actually why I got into pitch wars is because I knew something was missing from hot British boyfriend, and I didn't know how to fix it. And I was so frustrated that I wasn't getting the feedback that I needed. So that was really that turning point for me. So I would do a shout out to those mentorship programs. Um, that sometimes it'll push you over the edge to the next step. Do you want to take a minute and tell everyone like what Pitch Wars is and maybe why you think they should look into the mentoring program of it? Absolutely. Let me just preface this by saying that I personally love Pitch Wars, but it's not for everybody. And there's multiple mm -hmm. mentorships out there. There's another one called Author Mentor Match, um, AMM, and even other ones out there. So I would just say in general, mentorship I think mentorship programs can be great. Um, but for pitch wars in particular, um, it's a, it's a whole process. So, um, <laughs> from the, from the writer perspective, what you'd be first doing, you could Google, like if you type, type pitch wars into Google, it'll come up with a website and it'll give you the schedule for the year. So it's usually in the fall that they announce who the mentors are going to be. There's middle grade, young adult and adult mentors. Um, and then they start putting out their wish lists. So then as a writer, what you would do is you would go through and you'd look at all the different mentors and try to figure out who would be a good match for you. And they'll tell you things like, for instance, they might say, you know, we're looking, we're looking for some, we're looking for an issue like an eating disorder, or we're looking for books set at camps, or we're not looking for those things. And you can kind of start to pick and choose. Then you have to narrow it down to four mentors, and then they have an open submission weekend. I think it's maybe three days, and you need to have a completed manuscript. And you, um, it's a little bit like querying because you'd send a query letter. You would send, I'm not sure, it depends on the mentorship, but um, you know, maybe let's say the first three chapters, something like that, and you fill out some information. And then the mentors get. I mean, one thing about pitch wars is it's pretty competitive, so they will get you know hundreds of submissions. They go through them. They start to request full manuscripts, much like an agent would. Um, and then they have to choose one person. So then um, the men it's, it can either be one mentor or a team of two mentors. So like in my case, I had two women, um, Sabrina and Carrie. Um, so they then chose me and announced it's a big thing on Twitter that day. They announce uh, who, um, who gets chosen. And I was in a class of maybe 50... I think it was like 50 different YA authors. It's a, it's a pretty big class. And then you have the middle grade and the adult again. So then you have about three, it depends on the year again, but maybe three months where you're doing intense revisions. So that's why I said it's not for everybody because it's really a lot and it's usually over the holidays. So I would say like November, December, January is basically when you would be revising. That's what I did at least. Um, they'll give you an edit letter. You'll revise multiple times. Um, it's called Pitch Wars because they're trying to help you with your pitch as well. So they write, they help you to write your query letter. They write like a, a short little pitch. And then the thing that makes it famous is that uh, I, I, maybe famous is too strong. But the reason why I think people have heard of it is because at the end of all of this, everybody uploads their pitch and uh, like the first 250 words onto this website. And then all these agents will sign up to get first dibs. 
and they get to read over everything. And if they like it, they will put their name down and say, please send me X, you know, send me the whole manuscript, what have you. And so it's, it's a little bit scary because that's called, um, Oh God, what is that called? I can't even think. Sorry, uh, all the pitch wars people who might be listening right now. But anyway, there's a <laughs> happens, <laughs> and um, and so it's a little scary from the writer perspective because you don't know is anybody going to request it? Am I going to get a lot of requests? There's usually one or two people who are kind of like the breakout stars who get like a ton of requests um, from agents. And then it's like a feeding frenzy of agents getting all this material, and there's usually like you know, there'll be a, there'll be somebody in pitch wars who has like 10 agents who are offering them representation. And it's just, it's gets to be craziness. Um, so there's a lot of emotions to it, but obviously, um, that's great. Cause a lot of agents, it's not just that you get your agents, you get your work in front of agents, but like they're dying to see the work because sometimes these pitch wars books end up being huge breakout successes. I'm not putting myself into that category by any means, but there's some people who end up being, you know, number one New York Times bestsellers immediately and all kinds of crazy stuff. So, um, so anyway, so then that will get you the possibility of an agent reading your work and they might offer representation um, from just to give you an idea. Like for me, that didn't actually happen that way. Um, I did have people request my work, but nobody immediately read it and nobody offered me representation immediately. So I went back to just regular old querying, cold querying, um, and I did get an offer that way. And then that was how I was able to go back to all the pitch wars agents and say, hey, I now have an offer. And then as soon as they see that, they're like, oh, well, now we're going to read it. So then they all read it. And then I got another, I got two offers um, through that. Well, on that note, you do have older books that were rejected. Are there any plans to try and have those published now that you sort of have a built-in audience and a, an agent and things like that? I appreciate you asking, but when I look back at those works, I can I can now see why they were not published, if I'm being honest. <laughs> well, I can tell you a story about one of them, but the other one, I think it has some promise. Um, I, I haven't gone back to read it in a long time, but part of the reason I haven't thought about it is it's more... Well, here's the issue is I never really knew how to pitch it or what it would fit in, like what genre it was, and agents never knew either. It was like a little bit of a Percy Jackson greek mythology kind of book but it was ya and it was more serious and it was about the fates and it was i always thought it was cool but it just didn't clearly fit the market and i still don't know how to make that work so that one i feel like is kind of dead in the water and then the first one which was more of a straightforward fantasy um uh, for anybody out here who's a writer and who knows a little bit about querying, I tried to query it as a middle grade novel. And then when that didn't work, I was like, oh, okay, well, then I'll query it as a young adult novel, which I can't t tell you how, like, that's not how it's supposed to go. It's one or the other. You can't, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's how little I knew when I was querying that one. And that's in the book, it's not where it needs to be. So, you know, who knows? I did think about rewriting that one at some point. So maybe we'll see, but not as it, not in its current form. Not in its current form. Well, that's good to know that, and it's it's nice to hear an author who was like, "I did get rejected, but eventually I found my footing, and you know, you got published." And I know I loved Hot British Boyfriend, but it has gotten a lot of great reviews. So, what do you think has been like the greatest feeling for you in terms of like, yes, I'm definitely a writer now? Have you had that sort of feeling after getting this book published and seeing it on the shelves and stuff? I have, I've had it like, 
it comes in waves and in, in like a thousand times. Um, <laughs> there's not one thing I can point to, but I, I say that in like the best possible way. It's just every time I think I've hit that, like, this is the last time I'm going to feel this, something else will happen. I'll be like, oh, it's just, I don't even know. It's because this is one of the nice things about taking a while to get published. Like it took me about a decade from the time I first thought about it to the time it actually happened. And I don't regret that because I have so much gratitude now. And I, I just enjoy every little piece of it. Like the first time it was up on Amazon, the time I found out it was going to be an audiobook, when I found out it was going to come out in the UK, um, seeing it in my local bookstores, going into Barnes and Noble and being able to sign it all, everybody on bookstagram who's been so amazing. Um, I, that's been a, such a joy to see all these beautiful pictures and people making journals. And I don't even know, I'm not on TikTok. I know there's a, at least like a couple of TikToks on it. Um, and just, like I said, just wave after wave of gratitude and joy. Um, I can't even put it into words. It's been one of the best experiences of my entire life. You know, pandemic aside, the pandemic certainly sucked a little joy out of it because, like, you know, I really had wanted to have like an in-person book launch and have tea and do all this stuff. And that kind of thing didn't happen. But um, nonetheless, it's just been so much joy. And um, I mean, I guess if I had to give one answer, I probably, well, I know what it was. It was when I, I got my first copy. I didn't know. I thought I was going to get a big box of books. But instead, I got this envelope with just one book and I wasn't expecting it. And so I opened it and then I, I pulled it out. And I was holding the book in my hand for the first time because I didn't have a paper arc um, or advanced reader copy. So this was the very first time I was ever holding it. And I flipped through and I saw my words, but they were on pages and I just burst out crying. Like I was very emotional about it. Um, and, and that probably was, was one of the best times. And my husband was there. My son was sitting next to me. He was he was like trying to pull it out of my hands because he wanted to see it. And I was like, ah, mommy. <laughs> um, so yeah, lots of, lots of great experiences. I think that's partly why my husband wants to self publish. Cause he knows like if, if we self publish, then it's done, it's published, it's out there. And he can be like, look, my wife wrote a book. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he even, he even said like, okay, if it's been a year and no one publishes it, I'm going to start my own publishing house and I'm going to publish it myself. He even came up with a name for, his publishing house is going to be called Fingers on a Page because our last oh, name is that. Finger. So <laughs> he's all excited. So I'm like, I mean, if you want to do all the work and no one else will publish it, you just go right <laughs> ahead, babe. There's some great stuff to do with that, though. I mean, if he's passionate about it, you, you, know, you can have a lot of success with that. He just he's one of those people like when he hears about something, he's like, that sounds interesting. I need to know every single facet that has to do with this. And so what happened was I've always been a writer. I've always loved writing. And I had talked to him a million times before because we've been together half our lives. And um, one day he came home from work and I, he asked how my day was. And I was like, good. I wrote I started writing a book today. And he was like, don't you think you have enough going on with like the podcast and grad school and work? And I was like, I mean, maybe, but I wrote like <laughs> 20,000 words today. So, and within a couple of days, he was like, I've been looking into self-publishing. And I was like, I was like, I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> we need to bring it back. Um, but now I've finished it. I finished the sequel and I'm just waiting for someone to say yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so wonderful to have somebody supportive like that in your life though. That makes a huge difference to have a, a husband or a partner who's going to really kind of be there for you. Oh my gosh. He's great. Yeah. Um, especially cause like I have parents and <laughs> my parents are divorced. Uh, so, you know, they have different minds, but like my dad was like, That's so cute. 
That's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom was like, oh my God, this is amazing. When can I read it? And she'll tell anyone that talks to her. My daughter's an author. And they're like, well, where can we find the book? And she's like, we're working on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> But she'll tell anyone who can, who will listen to her. She's like, my daughter's an author. This is what her book is about. And I'm like, mom, I haven't actually like, people can't access this book yet. <laughs> I love that. That's so sweet though. Yeah. My mom actually reminds me a lot of Ellie's mom. Aww. <laughs> She also was a single parent and we did not have a super duper high amount of money. And she and I, she sort of raised me on these British TV shows and movies, especially Pride and Prejudice, the BBC version. Yes. Bridget Jones and Notting Hill and so many, so many others. So what inspired you to have Ellie's mom be like so invested in British culture so that when Ellie went across the pond, she already had like this wealth of knowledge. Well, I mean, I guess from the writer perspective, to be honest, I was thinking plot wise that that would make the most sense because you have to kind of like for the plot to work the way that I was thinking of it, Ellie needed to be invested. She needed to love England. I know there's sometimes there's travel romances where the person who's going to the other country is kind of grumpy about it or is like mad that they're being sent there. And I like those those novels quite a lot, but I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to write a novel where the girl going was obsessed with the culture and just loved everything about it. So I knew that that had to come from someplace. So, you know, what better than her mom to be kind of indoctrinating her, if you will, with all the, um, the, the, like you said, Pride and Prejudice miniseries and all those things. Um, and then, to be honest, which maybe this is a little creepy, but I thought of myself a little bit. Like, I'm not Ellie's age. I'm probably, honestly, more the age of her mom. So there's a bit of me, I think, in her mom of, like, sitting with her tea and watching her miniseries. Like, I totally do that. So I pulled a little bit of my own life in there. I love that, though, because I, I think a lot of people in the States do have, like, a fascination with British culture, especially we love those accents, right? Oh, Yes. <laughs> Myself, I w- I'm a big Doctor Who fan. And so grew up oh, with yeah. like Pad Baker and Tegan. And then of course, when Eccleseen took over, and then you also have David Tennant, who's just a legend in the, in the fandom now. Yeah, I kind of loved that. And I also loved that this book kind of incorporated things about the British culture that I think people don't realize, like having those large outdoor markets. Cricket is so popular. Cricket is like the number one sport in the world. And here in the United States, people are like, what's cricket? Right, exactly. <laughs> like Ellie, she's like, that's cricket. <laughs> so what made you decide to include sports and things like cricket in this market? Well, yes, there definitely was the world building aspect to it. Um, I was, I mean, I was a little bit like Ellie, where when I first started the book, I did not know much about cricket cricket at all. And so I was kind of thinking, I was trying to find a sport, or well, basically, I was trying to find something that I thought seemed reasonable that a British boy might know about and like, but that would be reasonable that Ellie would wouldn't know about even though she likes England and so she there's certain parts of England and British culture that she likes but she doesn't know all the things and so I was was trying to find a balance of what would make sense and what's something that you know then she could learn more about that means I have to learn more about it as well Um, and so I kind of landed on cricket for that way I could have done soccer um, but I I don't know why I guess I just kind of felt like cricket might be something that was a little I guess just more unusual like you said something that we don't hear about as much in the states. What were some of the elements of the culture where where you were just like, I really, I have to include this part? Oh, wow. This is a hard question, man. <laughs> I'm trying to like go through my book now and, and think if there's things in particular. Oh, boy. I'm probably going to have a really not great answer for you. I'm, 
you know, what's going to happen is I'm going to get off this podcast. I'm going to think, oh, no, this is the thing. This is the answer that I want to say. Oh, man. I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know. There's just so many little things that I wanted to include. I mean, there's different parts. I, I didn't want it to just be London for one thing. I feel like we always talk about London so much. So I, I wanted to have that moment of her getting to go there, but I wanted a lot of it to actually not be in London because, you know, for most people who live in Britain, they're not living in London and they're not probably going there all the time. And so I wanted to have a different kind of experience. Um, I wanted to include some of the food and I wanted to make sure, I guess this is not really answering it, but I guess I'll just say that I, anything I included, I wanted to try to include in a way that was respectful, like without making fun of British people or British culture or like making fun of their food. Um, I have a friend who's British and when she read the book, she, um, explicitly thanked me for not making fun of their food because she really loves British food. And that's like an easy, like target that people will sometimes use. So it's like low hanging fruit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, anything I was thinking of or trying to include, I was like, you know, I just, I don't want it to come across like that. I want it to be um, as respectful and as, as, you know, while still being fun, I want it to be like a, a positive representation of England. Um, you know, there's always going to be pros and cons to every country, but I was trying to come, I was trying to come from a place of, of positivity when I was talking about the country. That's not answering your question. I realize that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, it is because, because like I said, there's a lot of tropes that are associated with the culture. And, uh, you know, you, I think you did a good. You are getting sleepy, very sleepy. Your CPAP mask is clamped tightly to your face. Right, my darling? Yes, dear. You will not toss and turn through the whooshing. You will not throw the mask. You will not dislodge the hose and blast air all about the bedroom. You will not wake me, your loving husband, who yearns for even a single night of uninterrupted slumber, please. It's not working, Harold. People who struggle with CPAP have partners who struggle too. Luckily, now there's Inspire. Inspire treats the root cause of sleep apnea inside your body. While you sleep, Inspire keeps your airway clear so you can breathe normally and rest comfortably. No mask, no hose, just sleep. When I snap my fingers, you will remember to visit InspireSleep.com to learn more. Inspire, sleep apnea innovation. Inspire is not for everyone. Talk to your doctor to see if it's right for you and review important safety information at InspireSleep.com. Job of not representing like a stereotypical viewpoint of, of like you said, mostly focused on London or drinking tea or things of that nature. Right. It's kind of that balance because like it's coming from Ellie, who's an American. So she's going to want to have some of those quintessential and kind of stereotypical um, experiences. And, and she does get to have high tea and do those things. But I just, you know, I didn't want it to be like, that's the only thing that um, I show or that's what every British person is doing every single day. Like, obviously, there's going to be a lot of variability in how their lives are. So just trying to, I guess, show a little bit of that was was a goal. And I think that the main thing that Ellie is focused on is is romance, as so many of us are. And romances, I think, are quite popular in YA, even if it's not a romance book. We always expect there to be some kind of kiss scene somewhere, right? Yes. Um, why do you think people, especially young readers, like to have those romances so much? And what are some of your favorite elements to include in a romantic story? Hmm. Well, you know, I think probably for young readers and still now, I mean, even as an older person, I think we want that element of hope and that belief that there is this, this positive thing that's going to happen in the future that maybe if this is happening in a book, some version of this might be able to happen in real life as well. 
Um, I know I always love to kind of live vicariously a little bit through these romances, and I still do. I'm a huge romance um, reader, whether it's YA romance or adult romance. Um, you know, you just like to live that life and kind of imagine, or the Christmas romance movies that are on right now that I love um, to I listen to. I love the Netflix ones. Oh, favorite. yes. <laughs> I got my whole list. Friends and yes! uh, Christmas Switch are my favorites. <laughs> I love those too. <laughs> Absolutely. I have them all on a list and I need to rewatch a lot of them. So they're, yeah. I- <laughs> So, yeah, I think there's a part of that that's just, you know, and also, well, especially right now, I mean, there's so much negativity in the world and there's something so just calming and joyful about reading a book where you can, where you know that good stuff is going to happen. You know, you don't have to be worried about everybody dying or about bad things or trauma. Like it's going to be a joyful book and a joyful experience. And now more than ever, I feel like we kind of need that a little bit. Um, so that might be some of the reasons why people are drawn to those romances. Um, in terms of elements, oh boy. I mean, there's so many tropes that I love. Um, I, I like the tension, you know, before that's, this is a very, well, I don't know how much I should say, but I get, is it okay to say it's slow burn? I feel like that's just. Right. Yeah. That's not, I don't think that's a spoiler because it's going to be one of the other in a book. Exactly. <laughs> You're going to get insta love or a slow burn. So, and I actually, I think there's multiple versions of both of those in the book. So that is very true. Yeah. Yes. So I don't think it gives away too much at all. There you go. So I mean, I, I will admit, I know everybody hates insta love. I actually don't mind insta love sometimes. Sometimes it's fun to have that like immediate attraction. And so um, I, I do enjoy that, but I love some tension. I love some yearning and some angst. So if we can get a little bit of that into the book and kind of like, oh, are they going to get together? How's it going to happen? And like, you know, they're going to get together, whoever it is, but it's like that how, like, what are they going to say? And, and who's going to pause in that moment right before the, the first kiss? Those are always like the best moments in a book. So I just like to savor those whenever I get to them. Um, so I always, and those are my favorite parts to write too. Like I can write a kissing scene and just like revise it for a billion times. And then the other stuff, I'm like, okay, I guess I have to write something else. But <laughs> No, I'm the same way. I love writing all of those. Uh, not necessarily like a kiss scene, but I personally, as a writer, I love the slow burn. And so a lot of the stuff for me is like, Oh, they almost kiss here, but just kidding. Or right? <laughs> they almost had a moment, but life happens and stuff like that. I love writing because that's the kind of stuff where I get as a reader. I'm like, oh, so close. Yes. We were so close. <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's coming. You don't have to be upset about it. You're just like, you just kind of right. see it and live in it. So no, I'm, I'm the exact same way. I love writing those scenes. I will say, I think, um, you know, going back to what you said about it being like, you might know the ending, but you don't know how they get there in a romance book. I do agree with you. I do think that's what makes them fun and great. And you don't have to worry about the world ending or being responsible for saving the entire planet from an alien invasion (laughs) or, you know, the bad vampires versus the good vampires or bad superheroes. And I love all of those books. But for me, I read this book right after I read the Vampire Academy series and the Bloodline series, which listeners know I loved both those series. I thought they were great. But finishing them, I was just I I was kind of overwhelmed Mm. in terms of like, there are so many baddies. (laughs) (laughs) you know there were a lot of big bats and so finishing it I was kind of overwhelmed and I was walking around my local books a million and there was a display of like fun rom-coms in the summer because this was over the summer that this happened and I 
I saw, you know, maybe like 10 to 15 and I was kind of looking and it was like buy two, get one free. So I was like, cool, I got to pick three. And it was the first one I saw. I love purple and blue. So the cover alone got my attention. And I was like, hot British boyfriend, I have to read that. (laughs) I don't even need to know what it's about. The title tells me everything. So who picked the title and and what made you decide like, yes, we're going to lean into it? That's really funny that you say that actually, because um, I previously you had said like, what do you think made this book stand out? And probably my answer should have been the title. I I really do think that that's... It captured our attention for sure. I mean, people immediately, and that's not the first time I've had a lot of people say that, um, even my Pitch Wars mentors, they said that when they first, they had a lot of applications or what have you, but when they looked through their inbox, they saw my title and they're like, wait a minute, I need to grab that one. So um, the way that that happened, it actually was not the original title, but there's a line in the book. um, I can't, it's my own book and I can't exactly quote it, but it's something to the, it's at the beginning and it's, basically Ellie saying, um, forget about what happened before. Um, I want to go to England and I want to get a hot British boyfriend. And that was the end of the chapter. And um, I had another person read it and she pointed to that line. She said, you know, this is your title. You need to just call this hot British boyfriend. And I was like, oh, like it did seem very bold to me. And I was like, oh, I don't know. But then when she said it, I was like, no, I think you're right. I think I do. And so Oftentimes when you get a book published, the publisher will change the title and they always tell you don't get too um, hung up on titles because you don't get to control that as an author. So I kind of assumed that they might change it. But then when I asked, they were like, oh, no, we're definitely going to keep that title. So um, (laughs) do you want to share what the original title was? It was. um, Oh, gosh, I have to think for a second. Um, It was the British Boyfriend Course, like BBC. So it was supposed to be like a play on her kind of learning how to date a British boyfriend, like a like a class or a core or maybe it was British boyfriend class, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was OK. And it was had a similar concept, but yeah, it was not as, not as good. <laughs> <laughs> the, that kind of a title makes me think of like those um, early 70s and 80s YA rom-coms that, you know, by authors like Cindy C. Bennett and Ellen Conford, where it's like. The title tells you the book. Right. (laughs) And that's probably what I love so much about Hot British Boyfriend and about your new book, which has a similar title and I'm thinking a similar vibe. So do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Of course. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be a companion novel to Hot British Boyfriend and it is called Hot Dutch Daydream. Um, So as you might imagine, it's set in Netherlands and particularly in Amsterdam. Um, so the difference here is in Hot British Boyfriend, the book is centered on Ellie. Um, when I didn't mention this before, but when Ellie goes to England, she has a roommate uh, whose name is Sage, and they could not be more different. So Ellie is very much live in the moment and don't care about academics and just enjoy life. And Sage is not. She is a planner. She's goal directed. She's already thinking about pre-med and you know residencies. Um, so the second book, uh, Hot Dutch Daydream, is going to be uh, all about Sage. Sage is going to be the main character in this one. So um, the general premise of this is uh, she gets, so this is kind of scooting forward a little bit in time. Um, Hot British Boyfriend is set at the beginning of senior year, and this book is going to be set after they've graduated. Um, So Sage is getting ready to go to college, but the summer before college, she gets this opportunity to present at this really well-renowned international book or international uh, research conference in Berlin. But she doesn't have the money for that. Um, And so she 
she has this mentor and this advisor who she's been doing research with throughout her entire senior year. And she says, she kind of makes a pact with this person that she will come and nanny her child, her little three-year-old. And then in um, like, if she does that, then she'll earn money and then she can go to this research conference. So she goes to Amsterdam to be this kind of live-in nanny. And then when she gets there, she finds out that uh, there's actually not just one boy living in the, the apartment, but actually there's another 18-year-old uh, brother who is also there. Uh, his name is Ryland. And so Ryland was not supposed to be there for the summer, but plans fell through. And now he's suddenly at the house with Sage. And um, as the title kind of implies, Hot Dutch Daydream, um, Sage is trying to really be focused and to do her job as a nanny and to think about her future. But Ryland is quite distracting and um, in, in all the best sorts of ways. Um, he's cute and he's passionate about his art and he's very fun, but she's trying not to get distracted by him. And she may or may not succeed on, on that task. So that's <laughs> a little bit about that. <laughs> so we know it's a companion novel. We know Sage is coming back. Can we expect any other characters from Hot British Boyfriend to make an appearance? Yes, although I probably is good to know or to say this for anybody who has read and is, is hoping. Um, you will see Ellie and Dev and uh, Juan but you won't, they won't be, um, they're not in Amsterdam with her because as much as I would love to have the whole group together in person, I didn't make logistical sense that Ellie or any of them would have the money to travel back to Europe um, a second time. Like they just had been there in the fall. So to right. go back that, that summer, I, I wanted to try to make it work. And I was like, it just seems like too big of a leap to like somehow Ellie now some, has the money to go back for another trip. So um, Sage will be there on her own, but uh, she'll definitely be in contact and we'll get to see all of them interacting and um, getting advice from Ellie. And it's really, it was a little hard at first, but then really fun to write from Sage's perspective and to kind of see Ellie in a different light. So it, it's the whole book has been such a joy to write. I've loved it. When can readers expect to to get their hands on it? Well, we are um, in the process. So <laughs> I am. I'm actually currently doing the line edits, and so after line edits, it goes to copy edits. So we still have a little bit of time. It's not going to come out until the winter of 2023. So the exact month is a little unclear because of the supply chain issues and publishing right now. It's they're they're not really set on a time, but um, I think it's going to be either probably February or March of 2023. So a little over a year from now. That's so exciting. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm super, super excited because I absolutely, like I said, I love the first one. I already can't wait to read this one knowing that it's about Sage, who was <laughs> such a great character in the first book. I relate a lot to Sage, so it would be it's nice to, to see her. I'm kind of a type A overachiever, so it would be nice to to see uh, a story from her perspective. And she's so anti-romance, too, so it was really fun to write that. <laughs> Now, is it told in first person or third person narrative? It's going to be first person. So just like Ellie's was first person, this will now be, will be inside Sage's head with all of her thoughts. And um, and yeah, so it was, it, it, again, it took me a little bit, but it was really fun to write from her perspective. Why do you think it's better to write these books from first person or third person? Or did it just end up being that that's what worked for this story? So... I really think it does depend on the kind of story and the tone that you want. Um, for instance, a, a book that I wrote previously, that one that I mentioned that had like the Greek um, mythology to it, that was dual uh, points of view. It was a, a boy and a girl. And so that one was third person. And I felt like that was important based on the tone and the ability to keep those voices separate. Um, 
for these books, because they're so, um, YA contemporaries tend to be very like voice heavy where you really have to like feel like this, this person's character and how they're thinking and kind of, in my opinion, you have to really see the world through their eyes to understand what they're going through. Um, so it never really was a question to me. I just always, I always knew that Ellie's book needed to be in first person. And then when it came to Sage's book, to be honest, I never even thought about it because it was a companion and it needed to have some consistency. So I figured, well, if Hot British Boyfriend is in first person, then I think this one should be as well. So that wasn't, it was nothing that my editor brought up and it just kind of was how I wrote it. And I guess hopefully it, it, it worked out. I'm so excited to read it. everything <laughs> you talk about. So where can people find Hot British Boyfriend? Let's see. So, I mean, it should be, I think Barnes and Noble is still stocking it. So it probably is in Barnes and Noble stores in person. And then of course you can always order things online through Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, um, I do have an independent bookstore that's called Cover to Cover Books in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so if anybody wants a personalized copy or a signed copy, then um, they can go through there and I will sign it for them. Oh, yes. I want a signed copy. I'm Googling yeah. it right now. <laughs> or if people want like if, you know, I get it if they can't, um, if that's not like in the cards. Um, I also have book plates and I'm happy to mail out book plates and bookmarks and things like that. I've got lots of swag and not a lot of in-person places to give it. So happy to share oh, those. Where can I get this others. swag at? You, you just DM me or email me my emails um, on my website, which is christyboyceauthor.com. And I'm happy to mail that out. Okay. Well, you're probably going to get emails from me then because awesome. I love that kind of stuff. I'm happy to do it. It, it really, I did a pre-order campaign and I know I, whoever knows if that makes a difference, but it brought me a lot of joy to get to hear from readers and to send things to them. So I'm always happy to do that. That's wonderful. I love the pre-order campaigns. I get super excited when they're like, if you pre-order, you get swag. I'm like, yes, tell me where to send my receipt. Awesome. <laughs> I'm going to do one for Hot Dutch Daydream so you can look forward to yes, that. Yes, I love that. That makes me really happy. Well, thank you very much for being here. It was so much fun to talk to you. I'm kind of still fangirling that you answered my messages and you were like, yeah, let's do an episode. Um, the opposite for me, I very much appreciate being here. And it's, um, I just love getting to hear from people. So I was really happy to get to do this. It makes me really happy. I will ask while we're waiting for the next year to get the next book, are there any other books similar to this one that you would recommend for readers while they wait for your next one? Ooh, yeah. Well, I mean, my first one, if you haven't read Kisses and Croissants, um, that is that came out maybe a couple months after Hot British Boyfriend. And that's such a fun novel. It's about a girl. It's a, a ballerina, an American girl who goes to Paris uh, to train uh, in ballet. And then she meets a cute British or not British, but a cute French boy. Um, and they have a fun kind of like, you know, obviously it's a romance, but they're also trying to figure out um, this like mystery related to uh, Degas painting, which is um, Degas really famous for his ballet painting. So anyway, I just, I, it was all the things that I love. I love, I actually danced when I was young. So um, that's a, that was just a joyful, fun, happy book. So I definitely would rec recommend uh, Kisses and Croissants. If you have not read Anna and the French Kiss and the two books that came after that, um, those are kind of old now. Stephanie Perkins wrote those, but if you haven't read them, um, do it. <laughs> like they're, they're just so good. Oh my gosh. There's one, I have them on my bookshelf. I have to find Isla and the happily ever after is probably one of my favorite books of all time. It's so good. Um, so those are also travel romances. 
Have you read those? I have not, but I, I'm always down for more romance, uh, especially like YA romance books. Marissa Meyer has one coming out. It'll come out three days after this. It's an anthology, so it's a bunch of short stories, and they all have some kind of love story trope, like the one bed trope, the insta love trope, the love triangle trope. I was lucky enough to get an early copy of it, and it's gorgeous, and I loved it because I'm a hopeless romantic, so... I love the big books. I love the huge books where you have these amazing plots and characters and everybody has to save the world. But man, <laughs> a cute romance really gets me. Yes, that sounds so good. Oh my gosh, I need to get this new book now. It's all the different tropes. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and it I'm comes out January 4th. And um, okay. it's it was really great. It's called Serendipity. And it features a lot of different popular YA authors. And I think there's like 16 or 17 short stories in it. But yeah, it was just great. So I would say if you liked Hot British Boyfriend, um, in terms of like a fun, quick romance, I would recommend the Gigarella series also because it it has some really fun, like nerdy fangirl tropes that we love. I would also recommend Red, White and Royal Blue because again, we've got some fun love tropes. It takes, not takes place in like Europe or Britain, but we do have some elements of like, uh, princehood and, and royalty and things like that. And then I would also recommend Anne of Manhattan. I have not read that one. It's so good. It's an Anne of Green Gables retelling in modern day New York. And um, it's a lot of fun in terms of like awkward teen figuring out a new city. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm excited now. I need to check all this stuff out. Yeah, I'm a big reader um, and I'm a librarian. <laughs> it's my job to know upcoming books and what they're about and who they might be a good fit for. Absolutely. Yeah. So big thank you so much for coming. This was an absolute blast. I kind of still can't believe I got a chance to talk to you. And so before we say goodbye, where can people find you on social media if they would like to do so? Yeah, I am on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I I have my middle initial in my name. So it's Christy L. Boyce. Um, and that will be the same for Instagram and Twitter and yeah, those are probably the two best places to find me. I will say I'm not super active on Twitter. I will get on. I don't do a, don't do a lot of tweeting, um, but probably Instagram might be the best place to find me. Thank you so much for being here. I hope everybody goes and checks out Hot British Boyfriend. Yay. Thank you so much again. I really, really I had so much fun and I really appreciate you having me. Absolutely. So listeners, thank you for being here for this surprise episode. And I think we'll skip our normal sign off. And for this one, based on Ellie's experiences, I will leave the warning of just be yourself. Yay. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Hi, everyone. This is Bethany, host and creator of Prince Kai Fan Pod. Thank you so much for being here for my bonus New Year's episode with author Christy Boyce to talk about her novel, Hot British Boyfriend. Here is an audio clip of the book, courtesy of HarperCollins Publishing. Enjoy. By the end of tonight, I will be Andy Keating's girlfriend. It's all I can think about as I leap over piles of my dirty clothes and shimmy past the fairy gardens that fill my window ledge as Take On Me plays for the hundredth time. I land on a discarded dress, the third I tried on tonight, and go sliding across the laminate wood floor. I'm glad Andy can't see me now. But I still do one more spin as the lead singer from Aha uh-huh hits the last high note. Usually, I don't listen to 80s music, but this isn't just another song. This is our song. Crystal will be here any minute to pick me up. I need to finish my makeup. 
but it's hard to think of anything but Andy and me dancing to this song at the smoothie shop. He pulled me out from behind the counter and spun me across the rainbow-colored tiles until we had to cling to each other so we didn't collapse from laughing so hard. That was the moment I knew he was falling for me. And tonight, at his end-of-summer birthday party, I know he's going to ask me to be his girlfriend. I'm so beyond myself with joy and nerves. I have to reapply my eyeliner three times because my hands keep shaking. Five minutes later, I clomp down the stairs in wedge heels. They're higher than what I usually wear, but I'll take the pinched toes. Andy is a basketball god, and I'm going to need the extra inches for the first time he kisses me. Shivers go through me, and I clutch the banister so I don't somersault into the living room. Wow, you look beautiful, Mom says as I appear. She's curled in her favorite chair with a cup of Earl Grey, watching a BBC miniseries. Thanks. I smooth my dress. I know this is a backyard party, but there's no way in hell I'm dancing under the stars with Andy in shorts. You're growing into such an amazing young woman. I hope you have a wonderful time tonight. Her eyes are shining a little too brightly, and she looks ready to wrap me in a teary hug. The doorbell rings, and I leap to get it. I find Crystal in the doorway, a panicked look on her face. Hey, are you okay? Ellie, oh my god, I need your help. She steps into our cramped duplex, and I take in the living room from her perspective, seeing the dingy wallpaper and stains on the carpet. This is the first time anyone from my new high school has been here. It's not that I'm ashamed. I know how hard mom has to work to afford this school district. Her promotion and move from Virginia to D.C. came with a big pay raise. But money goes fast here, and we were lucky to find a decent apartment in this area. We've done our best with the space. But all the framed art and houseplants in the world can't disguise the fact that this is nothing like the huge houses my classmates live in. Crystal grabs my arm and pulls me farther into the living room, then points to her shoes. They're disintegrating! What? Disintegrating! She lifts her foot so I can see her platform heels. Sure enough, there's a huge chunk missing from the sole. These are my favorite shoes! I've had them since the summer before junior year. I thought they were so nice. But they're made of freaking foam. Can you believe it? Foam! I didn't notice until I saw the pieces covering the floor mat of my car. She flicks the shoe and another piece flies off and sails across the living room. It's only then that Crystal sees my mom. Oh, uh, sorry about that, Mrs. Nichols. She hobbles across the floor to pick up the chunk. No problem, Mom replies with a smirk. Come into the kitchen, I say. Maybe we can, I don't know, glue them back together? We sit down at the kitchen table, and Crystal kicks off her shoes. I take a look, but she's right. There's no saving them. Bits of foam fall off wherever I touch them. Why didn't you go back to your house when you noticed? Traffic was horrible, and I knew you were waiting for me. I didn't want us to be late. She shakes her head. But I can't walk into Andy's wearing these. This is going to be my last party before I leave for my study abroad trip. 
Do you have any heels I can borrow? Ugh, her trip. I hate the reminder that soon she'll be living in another country. She's the only real friend I've made since moving here at the end of my junior year. And I'm not sure what I'll do without her. But then, if I'm dating Andy, I won't need to worry about that. He's friends with everyone. No, I'm sorry. I point down at my feet. These are the only ones I have. Unless you want some silver strappy ones. She curls her lip. No, thanks. That sounds like a little much for a backyard party. She eyes my shoes. Damn, I was really hoping you'd have more like that. Those are so cute. She looks at my shoes the way I look at my mom's famous chocolate cheesecake. I can almost see the drool sliding down her chin. Usually, I'd hand them over without hesitation, but I chose these shoes with a specific purpose in mind. I bite my lip. On the other hand, they would look adorable with her romper, and she was really nice when I first arrived at school, inviting me to sit with her at lunch and showing me around. She even helped me get my summer job with her at the smoothie shop. Um, I guess you could take mine? I'm only wearing them because I lower my voice. They might give me a few extra inches if Andy and I... My cheeks flush and I stop talking. Crystal's eyes widen. Wait, are you telling me you chose those shoes on the off chance that Andy wants to make out with you tonight? She waggles her eyebrows. Sounds like you've been having some fun daydreams lately. I grin. They're not just daydreams. She laughs good-naturedly. But I can tell she thinks this is all in my head. And I get that. We haven't worked many shifts together lately, so she doesn't know how much Andy has been coming in. Early on, he'd just get his usual strawberry sunrise, give Crystal and me a wink, and leave. But these last few weeks have been different. He's been staying longer and longer at the shop, telling me about his soccer practices and pickup basketball games, teasing me for lip-syncing to the loop of 80s songs that play on repeat. I take a deep breath and tell her about last week. How he pulled me into the middle of the empty shop to dance like we were main characters in a movie montage. It was the most romantic thing that's ever happened to me. She smiles. That sounds really fun, Ellie. But it wasn't fun. I mean, it was. But it was also swoony. And she's not getting it. I think about going on, telling her more about Andy's latest visits. But then I hesitate. I don't want to jinx anything. And it's going to be so entertaining to see her reaction when Andy and I get together. I bring down a collection of shoes for her, and she falls for a pair of pink ballet flats immediately. Crisis averted. I give Mom a peck on the cheek and grab my key from the hook. I'll see you later. Be safe, and tell me everything tomorrow over breakfast. We hurry out to Crystal's car. Are you excited? She asks as she pulls away from the curb. So excited. You better be. Andy's parties are always epic. Just you wait. When we got Verizon 5G home internet, it sounded like it could handle all our needs. But one thing it couldn't handle was our frustration. And hey, we deserve reliable internet. It's time for better internet. Fast, reliable internet. Switch to Xfinity. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash Verizon 5G facts.